0: This Week in Pediatric Oncology, the podcast exploring hot topics and exciting advances in childhood cancer. TWIPO is produced by Solving Kids Cancer, nonprofits located in New York and London, dedicated to improving research and supporting families because every kid deserves to grow up. Subscribe to TWIPO through your favorite podcast platform. This Week in Pediatric Oncology, the podcast about new advances in childhood cancer. Hi, everybody, welcome to episode number 96, recorded on February 15th, 2022. I'm your host or co-host, Tim Kripe from Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. We're affiliated with The Ohio State University. I'm here with my co-host, Brenda Weigel from University of Minnesota. Welcome, Brenda.
1: Hi, Tim, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Today, we have a guest with us, Chris Bossi from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Chris, thanks for being here. Thanks, Tim. So uh, just bri- by way of brief introduction for our audience, you got your undergraduate degree from Bowdoin College, summa cum laude, and then you were uh, UPenn ever since, Penn Medical School, Penn Residency in Pediatrics, Penn Fellowship in, in Pediatric Hematology, Oncology. And looking through your uh, CV, you've gotten pretty much all the possible awards and, and scholar grants. and training grants from every national organization I can think of. So congratulations on all your success today. You've, you're amassing quite a quite a career. So uh, we wanted to talk mainly, though, about uh, your work in glypican 2, GPC2, 2, uh, since it uh, seems like it's really taking off and uh, you've had a lot of success with that, enjoyed reading your prior publications. So could you just start off by giving us a little bit of a background on how that project came to be, what's the history of it why did how did you come up with it?
2: Sure uh, well, thanks for the introduction and you know it's, it's great to be here so uh, the project really started when I was a, a postdoc after my clinical hematology oncology training and and uh joined the lab of John Maris, who's a pediatric oncologist at chop and, and was really tasked with um a project to discover new immunotherapy targets in, in this disease, high-risk neuroblastoma. And um, it was right around the time where, um, you know, uh, pediatric immuno-oncology was really taking off. And and John and Crystal Makel had formed a team where they sort of combined their expertise of genomics and immunotherapy to really um, get, get after this problem of uh, developing new immunotherapies for for several pediatric cancers and, and our cancer is neuroblastoma. So at the time this was a new thing, and now a lot of people have done similar, similar studies, but we used RNA sequencing data to just compare a large set of neuroblastomas and versus normal tissues um, and, and just ask the very simple question of what's expressed in neuroblastomas, what isn't expressed in most normal tissues. And I think really realizing that we didn't really know what that differential expression needed to be. So um, it's never perfect, of course. So um, we we got a list of interesting genes, and then I spent better part of you know, the next few years really... Validating these at the at the protein level, and then uh, exploring the functionality of them, and 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 then developing binders collaboratively across our team uh, targeting them. and, and GPC two just happened to fall out of that analysis. It was an a, a reag- or had a it was a protein where we actually could find reagents that worked, which is part of the challenge. Because in any of these genes, there's very little, very little known about them, and uh, it continued to look good. You know, throughout our our pipeline that we were developing, and you know, we haven't uh, left ever since. Uh, so, you know, it's been a lot of fun, and you know, we're very close to I think at the back end of this, getting GPC two directed therapies uh, to the clinic. So, you know, it's just been a whirlwind of fun, and and I've learned a lot about immunotherapy, and you know, I think we've learned a lot about how to. Um, you know, what makes good targets. And I think there's several other targets coming through that have built upon, you know, the pipeline we developed.
1: And and Chris, building on that, I think many in the audience are familiar with um, in neuroblastoma targeting GD2 with drugs like dinutuximab that have become part of kind of standard therapy right now for high-risk neuroblastoma. Um, what makes C, uh, GPC2 a a better or different target? And can you sort of compare and contrast between what folks know in targeting GD2 and why this might be um, beneficial to look for other targets?
2: Yeah, I think well, I first, say I think we need many more targets. Um, I think in the in the day where we're learning that antigen loss, whether it's GD two or GPC two or CD nineteen, is is becoming the major um, mechanism of relapse. I think dual antigen targeting and, and it gets at the project we'll talk about, but is really important. And so more antigens, the better, I think. And, and you know, in disease like neuroblastoma, GD2, been known for decades to be high on on several tumors. Um, but I mean, it wasn't discovered in an unbiased fashion. It was discovered by, I think, antibodies are floating around in the blood of patients with melanoma and neuroblastoma. So, you know, I think for those of us who treat kids with Neuroblastoma with denatuximab its obviously revolutionized how we treat these kids, both in maintenance therapy and first salvage at the time of relapse. But you know, these kids require um, sedation, infusions. Um, some kids continue to have progressive disease despite GD2 targeting. It's controversial, but how much GD2 is actually in in nervous um, central nervous system, and does that preclude giving? Um CAR d cells or others to, uh, you know, brain tumors or, or, or CNS neuroblastomas, I think it is unclear. Although there's some good data coming out of Crystal's lab that suggests that's not not, not going to be a problem. But I think it's really the morbidity that comes with Uh, The fact that obviously kids relapse in with GD, uh, despite dinotuximab, and I think more data we get on those relapses, it's, it is showing GD2 downregulation. Um, so I don't think it's so much that GD2 is a Terrible target. I think we just need more targets. And I think GPC2 is maybe a bit cleaner from a normal tissue perspective. Um, we'll see about the toxicities when we get into the clinic. But I really think we just need to develop additional targets to have things that we can take off the shelf um, when, when, you know, when, when or we can sequence these. So when we do get antigen loss, um, we'll have other backup therapies or we can do bisostronic constructs, things like that.
0: You bring up a really good point about the normal expression because I was looking through the Human Protein uh, Atlas, which anyone that's listening can, you know, look up common uh, publicly available website. You can see where the expression of any gene or protein is, uh, and it looked very absent from from most normal tissues. So there's a lot of criteria that you know that a target has to fulfill: be high enough expression on the tumor, selective enough, not on normal tissues. Um, how many other targets sort of have you, do you think it's possible or have you encountered in, uh, in, in this project or, or subsequent projects? Uh, do you think we're going to be able to have a lot of targets? There's a lot to ask of a target, I guess, is what I'm saying. And, you know, how yeah. lucky can we get?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I saw some quotes somewhere that said there is no perfect solid tumor immunotherapeutic target, or, you know, we've been looking for decades and we still haven't found them. And so I think that is true. There isn't perfect. And what I think we just thought was an ideal target a decade ago, I think we've changed how we think about that just because of experiences and looking at some of these. And so there there is not going to be a completely negative normal tissue target. And, And, you know, GD2 is not that. And I think we have to develop ways that where we can sort of perhaps throw the needle or have a high enough therapeutic index where we can tolerate some normal tissue um, expression. So that's one thing. How many targets are there? I mean, we, we are developing others uh, in the lab, and but it is a, it's a tough business, and I think um, a lot of these fail, you know, later on down the line after you take a deep dive because you learn something or you know you see some normal tissue expression that you didn't expect. Now, how much of that is relevant in the clinic i don't think we have any idea right we don't know how much normal tissue expression is tolerable what expression matters how high it's really hard to compare you know if you do see something on the human protein atlas what how that compares to tumors, right? They're, those aren't done in parallel. A lot of those are adult tissues or most of those are adult tissues. So I think, um, I think we're going to learn a lot from the GPC2 experience and, you know, we know what that looks like in our, in our uh, studies and then how will that perform in, in humans. Um, and I think we have some, several other, other things coming down the pipeline where we we'll learn sort of, um, you know, the, the, the basic studies we did in the lab and how that correlates to. In the clinic, you know, we never had that for GD2, right? We GD2 is a sugar, so it's hard to do any of these standard analyses. There's no, I mean, people can you can do GD2 IHC, but it's not very good. There's no RNA to compare, so we don't really have a sense. I mean, it's very, very high in in tumors, but you know what that means in all these preclinical studies, we just don't really know. So I think this will be a good target to to understand those things and learn, and then you know, hopefully, go back and maybe there are a lot of other targets where we we said well you know weren't good because we were afraid of something and then um you know they, they may uh, come to light once we learn a little more
1: and chris you've really highlighted some of the key elements of target selection and the challenges of of identifying those and of really sort of figuring out what are the relevant factors etc but there's also the issue of how do you hit the target um and how do you how do you design something that effectively will killed the cancer cell. And as we said, you know, the expression on normal tissues and et et cetera. But can you speak a little bit to sort of how you went down the pathway of deciding um, an agent that's considered an antibody drug conjugate rather than just a straight antibody? What are some of the challenges that you face in um, developing um, targeted strategies using antibodies?
2: Yeah. Uh, I think we don't know which is the best in kids, right? There are CAR T cells really in kids. There are antibody drug conjugates. Most of these are all in the leukemias. And so I think which therapy is going to be most efficacious for GPC2 and neuroblastoma, we we don't know. Um, So we've taken the route of trying to develop uh, everyone we can, you know, and not everyone. Um, so, you know, antibodies, we looked very early, we had antibodies, which all these therapies came out of. Um, we never saw any uh, antibody, ADCC or any of that activity with any of our antibodies. So that was, you know, sort of precluded a, 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 an antibody o- only therapy, much like dinutuximab works. We have close collaborators in our team who are ADC experts, and you know they decided to to, to make one of these, and we started testing it. It looked really potent, so that was, you know, sort of the easy answer to the first route we went. And but in the in the, in parallel, we we're making CAR T cells that just took a little bit longer um, to get efficacious ones. But now I think we're at the point where we have really potent CAR T-cells and really potent ADCs. And I think we've learned a reality in pediatric cancers and and in academia where um, we can actually bring CAR T-cells to the clinic, largely in academia. Uh, We have the the, the processes set up. Surely at CHOP and PEN, we have those processes set up. So that's something we can develop in academia. ADCs are harder because it's harder to get uh, we don't have those processes here. So we really tried to collaborate with industries on ABCs and we've had some collaborations um, that haven't, you know, uh, continued, uh, you know, in large part because I think companies really want to use their favorite um Payload, and uh, not every payload, it turns out, works in neuroblastoma cells. So, um, you know, we we actually published a paper back in the fall, just testing a bunch of different payloads in neuroblastoma cells to really get at the question that, you know, some payloads are good, some are not good, and we, you know, we an ABC with a, with a payload that isn't as efficacious isn't going to work. So. We have a really exciting new collaboration um, that's building with a new company. Um, so we hope to, we do hope to get an ADC to the clinic too. Um, but I, I don't think we know, and I don't, I don't think we understand which is going to be most effective for pediatric solid tumors. And if we're able to get both of these, we'll, we'll have an ADC and a CAR T cell in the clinic from the same uh, binder or antibody. So you know, I think it will really give us an opportunity if we can do that to really understand, you know, with like materials, what is most efficacious and yeah, there's probably a role for both of them, you know, and and, and both even for gpc 2 um, in the clinic, at least we think so. So we'll have to see. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And Chris, thank you for highlighting those um, things. And you've, you've used the word uh, solid tumor and taking Mm -hmm. this work beyond neuroblastoma, Can you speak a little bit to what you know about um, GPC-2 or other GPCs um, with respect to other pediatric tumors and how some of that targeting may be different or different strategies might be needed?
2: Yeah, so it seems... And I don't, I don't, you know, say something, I'm a little proof for it, but it seems that every tumor has its own glypican. And so there's a lot of redundancy in how glypican 2 and other glipokans are signaling co-receptors. They, they, largely act to facilitate ligand receptor binding at the cell surface of both normal tissues during development largely and, um, and in cancer cells. And and they drive hedgehog wind to any pathway you can think of important development in cancer. So, but it seems like most tissues have one elevated or one, most cancers have a one elevated glipid For Neuroblastoma is GPC2 for hepatocellular carcinoma, which is probably the most well-known as GPC3. And there's lots of immune therapies targeting GPC3 um gpc3 is a high in wilms tumor um you know and you can go on down the line so so i think there's redundancy biologically and but gpc3 actually is a good example of i think many programs that are targeting this in the clinic and and again hepatocellular carcinoma it's a major one there's also a pediatric program coming out of texas that are using car t cells to target gpc3 and several pediatric cancers so we know a lot about and i think part of our you know so-called pipeline was really this area what's well, in neuroblastoma but what else what other tumors express high levels of GPC 2 So, you know, we're lucky, I think, as genomic genomicists, to be able to do those analyses pretty pretty easily in, in the day of RNA sequencing. It's a pretty quick thing to look at. And, you know, it turns out that um uh, high grade gliomas have a subset of high uh, GPC two expression, and we have a paper under review that's showing targeting in high grade gliomas. Medulloblastomas um, have very high GPC two. This tumor, I'm really interested in. I think it's it's like a neuroblastoma-like brain tumor biologically. It's an like embryonal tumor of multi-layered rosettes, which is rare but a very lethal tumor, usually to young kids. Retinoblastomas are very high. Uh, they're paraneoplastic tumor. Pineoblastomas. Um, and then we, we, we developed some data and this was largely to help get some of these to the, the clinic and in, in collaboration with the industry around small cell lung cancers. And, you know, I, I don't know much about small cell lung cancers, but I know they're neuroendocrine derived and they, um, they, they express they have a very similar surfaceome. So we have some data to show both for ADCs and CAR T cells that GPC2 targeting is efficacious. And it's actually proven to, I think, be a, an important thing to, as we try to sell our therapies to, um, to companies and try to not sell per se, but sell them speaking and, and really, you know, uh, try to get people excited about this. Uh, you know, we're, we're in a world where our, all the cancers, thankfully we treat are rare, but, um, which makes it a little bit, you know, hard to convince companies to invest all this money in, in helping us develop these. And, but the lung cancer angle has, I think helped a little bit. And we always have a Uh, you know, we won't just go after lung cancer, of course, Uh, but, you know, if that's part of a a GBC2 program, you know, all all the better, I think. So, um, you know, I think we're lucky that RNA has um, predicted GBC2 expression well, Um, but we've also learned that RNA isn't always good for, you know, a predictor for some targets. So, you know, I think there's other ways to to profile tumors, of course.
0: Oh, it sounds like it's very uh, wide, potentially widely applicable, which is which is very exciting um yeah. and and I assume the majority you haven't said like what percentage but the majority of neuroblastoma is it tied to risk uh of neuroblastoma is it in the high risk not the lower is it prognostic what, what um just wondering a little bit more about the applicability across that
2: yeah, that's a good question so um trying to think of how we figure this out. I'm not even sure how we we got to this, but but it, it's actually transcriptionally regulated by. McAn, which, you know, as you know, is a, 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 oncogenic transcription factor in neuroblastomas and other cancers, and it's a marker of, you know, aggressive disease in neuroblastomas. So that that's, um, we've shown both in neuroblastomas and small cell lung cancers, and it's also encoded on chromosome seven Q, which in the world of neuroblastoma segmental like mental chromosome aberrations is, is not commonly talked about, but it's actually quite frequently gained at, at a low somatic gain, um, in, in, I don't know, 40 or 40, 50% of, um, Neuroblastoma tumors, so uh, we can see both of those regulate GPC2 uh, transcriptionally, um, and then it ends up being a lot of these tumors that I rattled off a few minutes ago actually have, have are pretty commonly have seven q gain somatically too, so or MICN amplification. The question of MIC, not cMIC regulation is unclear to me. And we've tried to look at this and it's it's not clear whether it's also regulated by CMIC, but that's a possibility. So um, we think those are good biomarkers, but it will say that, uh, you know, it ends up being a neuroblastoma. MCN and 7Q gain are basically mutually exclusive. So it it does get at the, there's one or the other, but, you know, as you mentioned that most neuroblastoma, it's not every single neuroblastoma, but it's, it's above 90% express GPC2 for sure.
0: So you've got a good target, you've got strategies to attack it. Um, where are you with respect to clinical translation, either launching trials or moving it forward to the next steps?
2: Well, I spent most of my morning this morning working on a clinical protocol for a GPC2 car. So, um, you know, hopefully that will see the clinic soon. Um, it's been an exciting collaboration um, with a local company called community which is, comes out of Carl June's lab and um, you know our excitement to get that is it's been a bit slow during the pandemic, but I think we're close to getting it um, launched and it'll be open at CHOP um, for patients with neuroblastoma initially. And then we hope to expand it with some uh, companion diagnostic IHC assay to identify some of these other tumors that have GBC2 expression. Um, so we're close. And then hopefully an ABC is not too far to follow.
0: But again, that's been a little
2: more complicated.
0: Are you also making a bispecific or uh, putting everything sort of into those two buckets?
2: Yeah. Um we have not dove deeply into bi-specifics. Um, but you know, it's that's more of a bandwidth um thing. I, I don't know. I mean, I think bi-specifics are much like ADCs, they they're um, yeah, you know, I know Nate Kong's done a lot of this, but yeah, they they require a platform to really build these up. There's so many different iterations and uh engineering of the um, you know, the the templates per se that um you know, a bit, bit, bit weary to, to go after because I think we're not really set up to do that. And, you know, we've, we've done a little bit of it, but um, but there's no reason to think that it wouldn't be just as efficacious. We just don't know.
1: It's very exciting to hear that this will be translating into the clinic very soon. Chris, that's super exciting. Um, and as we only have a few minutes left, I wondered if you could give us a hint as to sort of the major directions that you see Your work and the work of your lab going in in the near future, in addition to the exciting uh, opening of a CAR T trial.
2: Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll go where the science leads us. But I think for now, um, you know, we're we're all in on GPC two targeting, and you know, I think as Tim just mentioned, it's um, there's a lot we could do. Uh, We're learning a lot about. I mean, a therapy CAR T cell therapies. You know, I, I don't see us being a becoming a real CAR T cell therapy, but using that they're You know, using the engineering to really get at targeting this disease and staying very translational and getting what we develop to the clinic. You know, we are working on some next generation CAR T cells based on data that we have, and you know, uh, we'll we'll see uh, the clinical biological co- correlative data from the trial. Um, and then we have a few other targets we're interested in, and I, I do see us developing some by specific approaches um again i'm a genomicist i think i'm a cancer biologist um so you know we'll see i, I think you know I, I i do neuroblastoma now i can see myself branching on into other aggressive cancers there's the opportunity you know to, to target bring some of this technology and you know as you guys know we have a lot of um you know, very aggressive, lethal cancers in the clinic. And, you know, they can, thankfully they're all rare, but a lot of them, you know, a lot of us study neuroblastoma, but there's a lot of other rare malignancies that actually have, you know, even less therapy. So, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of things we could do, and, and especially just in this realm and target discovery for those cancers too.
1: I'll ask Tim if he has any final questions or, or comments.
0: Only that you know it's very exciting. Uh, we need more of these targets. I'm glad you guys are making a lot of good progress on it, and congratulations on all your work so far. And thanks for sharing with us today.
2: Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, and I have to say thank you very much uh, to Dr. Chris Bossi for uh, this wonderful uh, overview of targeting GPC2 in neuroblastoma, but other cancers as well, and and really the concerted effort to bring uh, those discoveries to the clinic is really just fantastic to see. And congratulations on your tremendous work. And it looks like that's it for this week. And I want to thank again Dr. Chris Bossi, Dr. Tim Kripe, uh, and most of all, thanks to the team at Solving Kids Cancer. A nonprofit charity dedicated to improving survival through creating novel treatment options for children. Remember, the more we learn, communicate, share ideas, and work together, the faster we'll reach the day when all childhood cancer is preventable or curable. As always, keep up the fight, and thanks for listening to This Week in Pediatric Oncology.
0: We welcome your comments, questions, or thoughts on topics for future episodes. Just drop us a note at twipo at solvingkidscancer.org. You can follow Dr. Kripe on Twitter at KidsUncDoc. Send an email to Dr. Weigel at weige007 at umn.edu. And find all Twipo episodes at solvingkidscancer.org.